Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hello. We are in our final week of a series called Re-Engineer, The Art of Rising Strong. And over these last few weeks, as we've been on this journey together, our anchor verse in this series has been Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, in which Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash." And as we've been reflecting on the scripture, we've acknowledged that success can only be sustained if there is a strong foundation on which we build our lives. Yet so often our focus and energy go into building a life of success while failing to ensure we have the foundation on which to sustain it. Augustine of Hippo said, Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds. Lay first the foundation of humility. And so last week, we looked at building our lives on the foundation of humility. The week before that, we looked at building our lives on the foundation of a listening life, because the bigger your opinion, the smaller your world. And today we are going to look at the foundation of a forgiving life. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 9 to 11 says, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or gossips about a matter separates intimate friends. Proverbs, being one of the wisdom books of the Bible, is telling us that a wise person forgives an offense. Mahatma Gandhi said, The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong, and we're focused on lives that rise strong, because God says to his people that even when we are knocked down, we are not destroyed. That is because when the storms come and they threaten our success, we can still live on an unshakable foundation. And so as we begin focusing on a forgiving life, I want us to first and foremost acknowledge that when we experience offense, it's something that we take. We take offense. It isn't given. We take it. And if you take offense, you're taking something burdensome and placing it on yourself. You know, sometimes we have feelings like, oh, that thing they did to me and we take offense or the words they used and we take offense or the pain they caused and we take this burden upon ourselves, the challenge they introduced that I didn't like and we take upon ourselves a burden. And then we want to build a big life for our future in the fullness of the success God wants to bless. But we're weighed down by the burdens that we're carrying, by the offense that we've taken, and we're unable to rise strong. You see, offense causes us to live under a burden we were never meant to carry. God can't bless your rising success if you're weighed down by offense. But Psalm 55 verse 22 in the Old Testament tells us, Give your burdens to the Lord 
and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. We're called to a future that is good, a future in which God can bless our success. But God can't take care of us if we're not willing to give our burdens to him. If we're willing to let go of the things we've taken on in our personal lives that aren't ours to carry. And so we must acknowledge right up front today that if we live with offense from the past, we won't live with the abundance of God in our future. You see, like T.D. Jakes once said, forgiveness is about empowering yourself rather than empowering your past. You're empowered. Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. You are given a spirit of self-control. And with that, you are empowered to let go of the offenses you might be tempted to carry or take hold of in your personal life. And so we have to re-engineer forgiveness into the foundations of our lives if we want God to bless our success. Someone once said, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 therefore says to us, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Now, I don't know where you are on your personal journey. You might be listening to this and be in the middle of struggling with unforgiveness because of something that's been done to you. You may be someone that's not in that place right now, but is generally someone that takes offense quite easily. Or you might be someone that has never necessarily struggled with forgiveness at all. I don't know what it is you're going through, and I don't want to make it sound like the process of forgiveness is something that is easy. But the one thing that I do know is that the power in forgiveness is not about letting the perpetrator off the hook, but it's about setting you free to live in the fullness of the success God has for your personal life. One of the things that makes forgiveness so difficult for us is that we misunderstand what forgiveness means. And often, even as Christians, we've come up with phrases that we believe are somewhere in the Bible, yet they so often are not. One of those phrases is, we must just forgive and forget. Just because we forgive doesn't mean that we are going to forget. James Grand said, to forgive is human, to forget is divine. Unless you think you're Jesus, no one expects you to forget if something difficult or painful has been done toward you. And just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you're going to forget what they've done. When I was young, I was walking through long grass barefoot and I cut my foot really badly. I had this bad wound and I went home and I tried to wash the wound out and then hide it from my father because I didn't want to have to go and have stitches. My dad walked outside in all the commotion as I was trying to wash this thing and he saw how bad the wound was. And then he took me to the doctor where I had to face the painful process of healing by having it stitched up and cleaned out. Now, my wound healed, but it didn't take the scar away. And every time I see that scar, even today, I'm reminded of the pain that I faced in the past and the lesson that I learned never to walk in long grass barefoot. When you forgive, your open wounds begin to heal and they turn into scars. 
It doesn't mean that the process of healing your wounds is not without pain. And it doesn't mean that you won't be reminded of that pain because of the scars that remain afterwards. You see, the scars remain as a reminder of the pain you may have experienced in the past. But in Christ, the stories those scars tell end with healing from the hurt. I think of uh, Joseph, a man whose life was documented in the pages of history from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 50. And Joseph had been unjustly persecuted by his brothers. They had sold him into slavery and for many years he suffered humiliation as a servant, falsely accused in a palace and then sent to prison, all because of the persecution of his brothers. But because Joseph remained faithful to God and he lived on the foundations of God's truth through every situation he faced, he ended up rising strong out of a place of suffering and he ended up standing in success and becoming one of the greatest leaders of Egypt. During this time, suddenly his brothers that many years before had unjustly persecuted him stood before him in the midst of a famine the land was experiencing. And in their desperation for provision, their brother who they had persecuted stood over them in the success that God had given him. Joseph in that moment could have taken revenge for all the hurt his brothers had caused him over the years. He could have in his power done so much to get back at them for what they had done to him. But clearly Joseph had built his life on the foundation of forgiveness. And it tells us that he wept when he saw them. And then he ends his story looking at his brothers and remembering the pain of the past with these words in Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. What Joseph could do was look at the scars that reminded him of the pain of the past. But in Christ, his story ended with healing from the hurt. So forgiveness is not forgetting. And you don't have to feel the pressure to forget just because you forgive. Your wounds will heal and you will have the scars to prove it. So let's define forgiveness as giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. The first thing we often misunderstand is the idea that if we forgive, we have to forget. And you might have been in a position where you've thought you were unable to forgive purely because you couldn't forget the pain and the suffering of what was done to you. God doesn't expect you to forget the pain and the suffering you went through, but you can still be empowered to forgive in the midst of that. Another misconception we have around forgiveness is that forgiveness is somehow a miraculous moment or a single once-off event in which in a puff of smoke we forgive the perpetrator or the person that hurt us in the past. We need to understand that forgiveness is not a miraculous moment, but very often a lifelong process. Dr. Robert Enright is one of the pioneering researchers on forgiveness and also the first to develop a comprehensive model of forgiveness. 
Enright was working as a development psychologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the mid-80s when he started thinking scientifically about forgiveness. As a practicing Christian, Enright was intimately familiar with Jesus' teachings on mercy and wondered if his patients would benefit from learning how to forgive others. He began incorporating notions of forgiveness into his therapies and found the results promising. Those who underwent therapy that had a focus on forgiveness saw greater improvement than those who didn't. And this held true even for patients who had experienced severe abuse. After conducting several studies with many different types of patients, Enright came up with his own model of forgiveness which can be summed up in four key phases. He spoke about the process of forgiveness in these four phases calling phase one the uncovering phase. Thinking about forgiveness first entails thinking about how you've been hurt. How exactly were you wronged and how has it affected your life or your relationship? The uncovering phase means confronting rather than avoiding what has happened and what it is that you are feeling. The goal is to be as objective as possible because one cannot begin to forgive unless they truly understand the events that triggered their hurt. And a question that you can ask yourself personally and confront is how exactly have I been wronged and how has it affected my life? This is almost a form of confession. Writing it down word for word, articulating it clearly and not just leaving it as a general hurt that was caused by someone in the past. How exactly have I been wronged and how has it affected my life? This is a form of confession And confession leads to healing. We understand that, firstly, we confess our sin to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But then James 5.16 in the New Testament says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The confession of our brokenness. Declaring exactly how we've been wronged and how it has affected our lives might be very key in the process of moving toward healing. Phase two, as Enright speaks about, is the decision phase. And in this phase, one actively decides to begin the process of forgiveness. Enright explains that forgiveness must be a free choice that someone arrives at on their own. Am I willing to choose to forgive the person who hurt me? We're going to talk more about the decision phase in just a moment. Phase three that Enright speaks about in this process of forgiveness is the phase in which you begin trying to better understand the offender from a more objective standpoint. And he calls this the work phase. The idea is to understand the motivations or context that may have contributed toward the wrongdoing. When the injured person does this, they are more liable to see their offender as a human rather than just a malicious force. And this is vital for recognizing an offender's humanity is how we offer them compassion and empathy. In this phase, one not only accepts the pain of what has happened, but begins to let go of resentment so as to offer their offender the gift of mercy. And then Enright says this leads to phase four in the process, which is the deepening phase. Once one has done the work of forgiving, they must start to see the release of negative emotions and distress. Or they may start to see the release of negative emotions and distress. It's like the chains of offense that they've taken, the weight and the burden they've carried, which wasn't theirs to carry, begins to come off. They are able then to draw meaning from their suffering and see the personal freedom that comes with forgiveness. 
a little like Joseph in his declaration toward his brothers. What you intended to harm me with, God has now used for my good. We begin to draw meaning from our suffering and see the personal freedom that comes with forgiveness. So, we clearly see that forgiveness is not something that involves us forgetting what we've gone through. And secondly, forgiveness is not a miraculous moment, but often a lifelong process. So how do we forgive? How do we embrace this? How can we take the first steps in this process of forgiveness? And the first point, practically, is to make the decision. Because forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a choice. Make the decision that you are going to forgive the perpetrator because forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a choice. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 23, we read of the crucifixion of Jesus. And while they're mocking Jesus after they've crucified him, we read of his words as he says to them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. In that moment, Jesus wasn't feeling warm and fuzzy. He wasn't thinking like, you know, guys, you know, while I hang you here and you're crucifying me and mocking me, actually, you're quite good. I mean, we could be buddies. He's not feeling that way. Yet in the midst of his struggle, he displays the choice to lavish forgiveness over his perpetrators, even when they made him feel unjust pain and suffering. We often deceive ourselves into thinking that we can't forgive because our feelings contradict the act of forgiveness. But forgiveness is driven by a choice of the mind, not a feeling of the heart. It's the choice to give up my right to hurt you for hurting me, even though I feel like taking revenge. And it was interesting because after sharing this message and depositing this revelation with the congregation here at Southside this last weekend, um, an older man came up to me and he said, hey, you know, he said, I had an experience in which I made the decision to forgive. And as I continued to decide to forgive the person that had hurt me, slowly my feelings started catching up with my conscious decision to forgive them daily. And it's very powerful because although forgiveness might be driven by a choice of the mind, not the feeling of the heart, as you continue to choose to forgive, at the end of the day, your heart will catch up with the decision you've made in your mind. And that's why we read in scripture where it says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Often it's first the the conscious disciplined act of the hand that then leads to the shift in the heart. And for us, forgiveness is driven by a choice of the mind, not a feeling of the heart. It's the choice to give up my right to hurt you for hurting me, even though I feel like taking revenge. So number one is that you can today make the decision to forgive because forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a choice. And point two is do it daily. Do it daily. Number one, make the decision. And number two, do it daily. Because forgiveness is not a miraculous moment, but a process. Because we can't forget, we may need to forgive the same person daily. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. It's constant. 
Lamentations chapter 3 verse 23 in the Old Testament speaks about God and says, Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. His mercies are new every morning because our sin needs to be forgiven daily. And for some of us, our journey of forgiving the unforgivable may be a daily decision. And that's okay. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 22, it tells us that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Just like Jesus' mercies are new every morning, so should our forgiveness be renewed every day if it's required. Not just for the first seven days of the week, but 70 times seven if need be. Jesus is saying here that if you have to forgive every day for the rest of your life, you should. And so the only questions that remain are, number one, how exactly have I been wronged and how has it affected my life? Number two, will I choose to give up my right to hurt the person who hurt me? And number three, am I willing to give up that right for revenge on a daily basis? Today, we can either choose to live under the shadow of our hurt or the shadow of the cross. If we live under the shadow of our hurt, we're choosing to carry the burden of the offenses that we've taken. Or if we live under the shadow of the cross, it means we're letting go of the burdens and giving them back to God so that he can take care of us and bless our success. The American pastor, leader and author Andy Stanley says, In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. I see forgiveness in a different light when I see it in the shadow of the cross. And Andy Stanley ends saying, When I accept forgiveness from God, I'm set free from the penalty of my sin. When I extend forgiveness to my adversary, there's a sense in which I'm set free from his sin as well. Let's not forget that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. I pray that today you would make the decision to forgive and do it daily if need be. As part of the journey of building a strong foundation in your personal life so that God can bless your success.